We are in James chapter 5 this morning, James chapter 5. We're finishing out the book of James, and then we will jump into uh, the second half of Isaiah next week, God willing. Today, James chapter 5, verse 19, um, Darwin had a, uh, a, a hypothesis of natural selection. If you recall studying that at school or any time, the uh, idea of natural selection in Darwinianism was that species grew stronger uh, through natural selection, that the smartest and the strongest survived and lived on to propagate, and thus subsequent generations had the best DNA, the best intellect, the best strength. And, uh, and that is called natural selection. Let me ask you, do we see church growth being a form of natural selection where weak believers struggle, wander off, drop off, and only the strong and perseverant are here? so that we have somewhat of a showcase of spirituality of the strongest of Christians, letting the weak wander, letting them drop off. How would such a view square with Jesus' compassion for the one sheep who wanders? The one sheep. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus, the earthly brother of Jesus. They uh, had a common mother, Mary. And so James knows the heart of Jesus quite well having observed Jesus throughout his childhood. And so James understands this compassion for the lost sheep. And with that in mind, I would like for you to look at verse number 19 of James 5. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, I pray that you would help us to have your heart toward those who are weak, towards those who are wandering. God, I pray that you would protect this church from arrogance, from thinking that somehow we walk through these doors because we're the ones who persevere, that we are the morally beautiful ones. Uh, Father, help us to see our neediness and help us to see our neediness in showing your love to those who wander, to those who struggle, to those who are weak. Bless us, Lord, to conform. Bless us not to excuse ourselves from obeying your word. And we ask for you to work in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this brief passage today, as we wrap out uh, we, uh, the book of James, we see that sin leads people further from God than they ever initially intended. And we see that you are responsible to admonish them to return. If you look at verse number 19, it says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth... And someone brings him back. That word brings him back is the word to turn around. If someone turns him around, uh, turning someone around from wandering, that does not look like being angry at them. That does not look like retribution. What it does look like is helping them or encouraging them. It's, it's illustrated uh, and, and contrasted. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, listen to this passage. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idols, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So did you catch the three verbs? Admonish, encourage, and help. Admonish the idol. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. 
being patient with all. And then opposed to that is repaying someone evil for evil. You see, when you're angry with your brother or sister, and they should know better than to behave this way, and you want to nail them to the wall, try helping them first. Try encouraging them first. Today's text deals with those who have wandered away from the fold. They've wandered. They maybe aren't even here to make us mad at them. Perhaps they did something on the way out the door that we remember, but they have fully wandered. And here's the heart of our Lord uh, toward the one sheep. I'll just read this. You know this passage, but just you can listen to it to be reminded. Jesus said in Matthew 18, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go and search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, I, I say to you, uh, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus cares about the weak, the wandering, the sinful. And James posits here that someone will bring them back. Someone will get them to turn. Who is that someone? Is, is that why we hire pastors? Is this the focus of the pastor? Well, let's look back at verse 14, because it certainly includes the pastor. If you look at verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders. That's another word for pastors, uh, uh, the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Uh, So certainly pastors are included in this. But then notice how the focus changes in verse number 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We're not talking about elders here. It includes the elders, but we've left that. We're talking about praying for one another here. And then Elijah is given as an example in verses 17 and 18. And then in verse number 19, if someone wanders and someone brings him back. So it is not just focused on the pastor. And we need to resist the paradigm of ministry that ministry is what the pastor does. That we hire pastors to do the ministry. That, that would actually be against the teachings of the Scripture. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4 that talks about pastors. In fact, I think it's the one text in the New Testament that uses the title pastor. Everywhere else, it's, it's bishop and elder. Um, but he, it says in Ephesians 4, he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You are the one who builds up the body of Christ. You are the one who is to be equipped by your pastor for the work of the ministry. Now, I just want to read a list of pastors from a large church, and I do not mean to condemn large churches or large staff staffing a pastor. Both are good. Both are necessary. Okay, but I, I do want to use this as an illustration to how dangerous this can be as God grows a church and you have multiple pastors. Uh, this, this one church cited has a senior pastor, an executive pastor, three senior associate pastors, a pastor for education ministries, a pastor for outreach, a pastor for small group ministries, a minister of visitation, a singles pastor, a doc, director of student ministries, a college pastor, a high school pastor, a junior high pastor, and a director of children's ministries. It's quite the list of pastors. 
Now, I, I don't doubt this church needs those pastors. This is a very large church. Now, if we had a pastor here at Cornerstone, a pastor for education ministries, and you showed up to church, and, and the first grade class had no teacher this year, I don't think people would look around and say, well, how can we not have a teacher? We have a pastor of children's ministries. Isn't that his job to teach all of the classes? Right? We wouldn't expect that just because of the name. We would expect a pastor of children's ministries to stay, or a, a pastor of Christian education. That was a different pastor. A pastor of Christian education, we would expect them to be in charge of staffing, not actually doing. Right? So there, I don't think there would be a, as big of a trip up for us with that. But let's take a pastor of college students. Let's say you're at church and there's this college student that you know and, and you kind of like this college student and you haven't seen them now in six months. And you're just thinking, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so in six months. I really like this person. I really wish they were here. I wonder if Pastor Joe, our college pastor, has followed up with them. I think I'll mention something to Pastor Joe. Pastor Joe, have you followed up with so-and-so? And Pastor Joe is like, oh, well, uh, yeah, you know, and, and, and he's feeling guilty because, no, he hasn't. And, and, and so, okay, well, I'll put that in my schedule to follow up with so-and-so. Do you see what just happened? You had a member of the church sending the pastor to do ministry rather than a member of the church who has an affinity for a college student reaching out to that college student and said, hey, I haven't seen you. And, and you see, here's the thing. God has put a church full of people here to love you. And there are different levels of affinity and awareness. And when the Holy Spirit puts someone on your mind, that's not your call to equip the pastor to go out and do the ministry. That is your call to go out and to minister. So I would just think that while, while multiple pastors is very important and very needful, it can also be a tripping point where you get this paradigm where, oh, ministry, there's, there's work to be done. We've got to get a pastor on that. Ephesians 4 says that the pastors are there for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Our passage today uh, t allows for the possibility that a member might wander off. The pursuit of that person is the opportunity for someone in the church. Do you see that word in verse number 19? If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. That is an opportunity for you. When you see a wanderer, you can be that someone. Now, as we continue in this passage, knowing that sin works death into people's lives, you need to know this, that your moral admonition could save their soul, save their life from death, their soul from death. Um, verse number 20, it says there, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. Whoever brings him back will save his soul from death. So James is like Paul in that James equips sin with death. In Romans 6.23, Paul said, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin. Uh, that means sin's natural consequence, its natural return to you is death. That can be speaking of physical death. That certainly speaks of spiritual death, where man was created to fellowship with the God of the universe. With communicable attributes, we, we, we share in the attributes of God to the degree he sh shared many of his attributes with us. We were made for fellowship, but we are separated from him by sin. There is a spiritual death. And then there is eternal death. Uh, the book of Revelation calls hell, the lake of fire, the second death. And, and so there is eternal death in hell. And the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Of course, the bad news in Romans 3.23 is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are all in this boat where we are all sinners and we are all deserving of death. 
and this person uh, that, that is our subject today has wandered off. Uh, they, they maybe came to Jesus Christ at some level. They believed something about Jesus. They were a part of the people of God at some level. Whether they were truly or saved, the passage doesn't specify. But they have now wandered off. Uh, wandering off from the people of God is a sin in itself. Failing to assemble with the people of God is a sin in itself. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Do you see that? Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Oh, it's the habit of some. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. You're here this morning, so I'm preaching to the choir. But let me just alert you to the pattern, what happens. Uh, you all of a sudden say, ah, oh, you know, it's Sunday and I'd rather go do this other thing. <sighs> it's just a Sunday, let's just do that. And, 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 and then there's another Sunday and then another. And pretty soon you have a pattern. And that pattern eventually becomes a habit. And speaking to Christians who I've been out speaking with when they wander off like this, uh, there's two things that are very common that they regret. Number one is going back to church is really hard because somebody meets them in the foyer and says, oh, it's so good to see you. And they don't mean to be judgmental when they say it's so good to see you. But when you've been gone for six months or two months, it's like, so good to see you finally. Okay, that, that's how they read it, Right. And, and, and so it just this is overwhelming guilt where it just feels so uncomfortable breaking the ice and going back. That is so painful. It's like a wall that, that, that separates them. And, and really, it's human pride that doesn't want to go and humble yourself and just, it is what it is. I haven't been here. I'm going to try to be here, right? But, but human pride, sin, will just block you. And so that's, that, that's the one regret. The other regret they have is Sunday is just like every other day and all seven days of the week blend together now. You know, we could go do this, you know, we could work today, we could work Saturday, we could work Sunday, we could go play today, we could play Saturday, we could play Sunday. It's just another day. There's nothing holy, there's nothing special. And so um, the verb here, brings back, has the idea of turning someone around. It's to get them to turn from their sin. In, in verse number 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. Ezekiel illustrates this turning and saving from death in Ezekiel 33. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die? Ezekiel 33:11. Turn back, why will you die? Sin yields death, uh, sometimes physical death. Always separation from God in your relationship. There's just, there's just something there between you and God. And if you are, die unsaved, not having trusted Jesus as your Savior, eternal death. It is the ministry of every believer in the local church to seek out those who have wandered off from the truth. And we do so knowing that in some cases this is going to be a matter of life and death. Now, this could be referencing what was going on back in verse number 14. Uh, you remember somebody was sick. They were in their deathbed, apparently, because they couldn't go to the elders. They had to call for the elders. The elders prayed over them, uh, a very unique preposition to pray over them. Only time it's used in the New Testament with the word to pray. And, and, and then they would be raised up um, after, after the prayer was, was the idea there. So this, this probably... Um, 
relates back to, uh, to verse number 14. Now, if they were to call for the pastor, the pastor was to anoint them with oil, which could have been a form of recognition and acceptance. Uh, we're going to study tonight together uh, anointings in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just understand what, are the, you know, what were these anointings, because I really believe it's lost to us. Uh, they had regular anointings for personal grooming. They had anointings for recognition, and, um, and, and we don't have either. And so uh, uh, tonight we're going to look at that a little bit more. But can you imagine the pastor? Uh, you haven't been to church for 30 years, and, and you know, one foot in the grave, uh, you're on your deathbed, and you call for the pastor to repent. Can you imagine the pastor who says, wait a minute, 30 years? You have ignored God, and you have ignored us for 30 years, and you want me to come over to your house and pray for you? Are you kidding? Can you imagine the pastor who would do that? Such a pastor would be an imposter of the gospel, not a minister of the gospel. Now, I am enough of a sinful human being that I can understand the kernel thought, right? Is it hypocritical to be away from the church for 30 years and then call for God on your deathbed? Is it hypocritical? Yeah, I think so. Who here is not a hypocrite? Can you raise your hand and let us know that you are a liar and we'll know what your main sin is in addition to hypocrisy? See, oh, but I'm not as big of a hypocrite as they are. Oh, really? Do you really want to go there? You know, the, the day may come where the, the online world exposes all of our thinking. And if you're clicking on incognito mode and thinking Google isn't interested in your deepest, darkest secrets, you better guess again. Oh, they won't bring it up in your search history. But that's some rich, rich data. And if you think you're not as big of a hypocrite, I hope it just all gets unfolded for the world to see. All of our browsing history. All of our interests. We are all hypocrites. We should praise God, and I would praise God for any sinner who would call after 30 years. In fact, we've had several people who've drifted away. I hope they all call on their deathbed, and I hope they all get right with God. This is not a business with a profit motive. This is not a business with a loyalty program. We are in the business of peddling grace, of peddling the gift of God paid for in full by the blood of our Savior. Would that they would all call on their deathbed and confess their sin and express their faith in Jesus that even at this last hour after an unfaithful life, they have confidence in Him. He is worthy of their confidence. None of us deserve what we have been given in Christ. Therefore, we gladly extend this offer to others. Our God is that good to us and He's that good to them. Your ministry of reconciling an errant brother is going to cover a multitude of sins. A multitude of sins are going to be covered. And what's not clear about the grammar is whose sins are being covered, yours or mine or all of ours. Because the word multitude is, is, is speaking of a vast array. It's very interesting and almost a little bit confusing. Let's read all of verse number, nine, verse number 20. Let him know that... Whoever, again, this is anyone in the church, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. 
We can assume that the wandering brother's sins are being covered, but the magnitude of sins denoted by multitude and the grammar seems to broaden it beyond just the one errant person. At the core of this transaction is accepting repentant sinners upon their repentance. So someone has been wandering, we accept them back upon their heartfelt repentance. Also at the core of this transaction is confessing our sins to one another. Look at verse number 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. In other words, we're talking about when when we accept errant sinners and we accept their confession and their repentance, we're talking about an environment where multiple people are able to confess their sins openly and be forgiven. And, And so... There's room for understanding. There's room for forgiveness because nobody is overcome in any sin that you and I don't understand at its core. We are tempted in every manner like as they are. Every category of sin, we have temptations. It just hasn't taken control of our lives. We haven't yielded ourselves to the point of control and ruin perhaps that they have, but we understand that core temptation and we better be very humble as we deal with them knowing that we have the same exact struggle. Even Jesus had the same exact temptation. Hebrews 4, 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you go to this errant brother, they're in a time of need. And when you forgive them, you foster a church environment where understanding and forgiveness abound. You might actually see some serious movement within your church family toward accountability, confession of sin, and sanctification. Thus, you cover a multitude of sins. Not just the errant brothers, a multitude of sins. I've had to apologize recently to Cornerstone members. And there seems to be a spirit of forgiving and forgetting. They haven't brought it up since. I'm rather inclined to confess my sins in the future. Trusting that there's understanding, that there's room for forgiveness. The verse in verse 20 says, we cover a multitude of sins. Listen to Proverbs 10 where it talks about uh, the, the difference between covering sins versus not. Hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all offenses. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Now, when it says love covers offenses, this is not a cover-up of some sexual misbehavior, and certainly not by clergy. When there's uh, clerical, when there's when there's clerical uh, misbehavior sexual deviancy deviancy in the clergy. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 still apply. That person is disqualified. They can be forgiven, they can be loved, but they can no longer serve. That's to be dealt with publicly, the Scriptures state, that others may fear. Okay, so when we're talking about covering all offenses, we're not talking about a cover-up of some scandal. We're talking about forgiveness. Listen again. Hatred stirs up strife. That's where you're remembering and you're just 
striving with them, but love covers all offenses. Listen to 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love just covers. There's just, there's an understanding. To cover is to forgive. Listen to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is parallel poetry. So you see a parallel statement. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Let me read that parallel again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man, it goes on to say, whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. A person full of hatred strives about past wrongs, but a person full of love covers over offenses. And here's the thing, the benefit, Christian, to you in covering over other people's offenses, reaching out to sinners, and covering their sins may just benefit you more than the person you're rescuing. Because the alternative for you is to live in bitterness. And, And listen to Hebrews 12 as it describes, again, peace versus bitterness. Strive to strive for peace with everyone. And for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. There is great peace to be found in covering the sins and the offenses of the past. Now, it's a two-way street. The sinner needs to be responsive to the outreach with good faith repentance. And the more sanctified believer needs to be forgiving, letting go of all anger and bitterness. The hiding or the concealing, the covering of your brother's sin, also sounds as if you don't bring it up. Past sins are not a matter of conversation. Now, practically speaking, there may be certain sins to which you've enslaved yourself to a certain point where there needs to be future accountability, monitoring, things like that that are just practical. But there's no bitter recollection of what's happened in the past. There's just a frank understanding that we all struggle with sin and some need special accountability. And the church is here to provide that where needed. It's all done with an attitude of love, but also an attitude of understanding. We're all sinners and forgiveness. We struggle with the same temptations. All believers are responsible to search out those who've wandered away, the one lost sheep. All. are Someone goes to them. We are responsible to encourage them and to turn them from their sin and to cover a multitude of sins. Jesus had compassion for this one lost sheep that wandered. What better use of your life could you have than to seek out a wandering sheep? God will will rejoice when you bring them back. Today's text mobilizes believers. It mobilizes you. This is not just the work of a pastor. God may have placed you here with your experience, your affinity for a certain person, your relationship, your personal touch in dealing with delicate issues. He may have placed you here for the precise purpose of reaching out to this one errant brother or sister in Christ. They are called upon to turn. There is a direction that was going towards sin and death that is now going towards righteousness and life. 
and all offenses are covered, gone, not brought up again. It's all part of the ministry of the local church. Not to collect the most perseverant, beautiful people, but that we would reach out to the weak, that we would help them, that we would all be together recognizing our unity, that we are all children of grace. Who is wandering? Who is God bringing to your mind? Who is wandering? I'm going to give you just 30 seconds just to think about that in silence and pray to God for opportunity, for boldness, to be obedient to the word and to reach out to that person. Let's just spend a moment in reflection and then I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for each and every one of us. God, we again confess our sins. We are tempted in like manner as everyone else in this room. God, we come to you in need of salvation. Our thought life has not been pure. Our words have been hurtful. Our deeds are not all righteous. And so, Father, we fail to measure up to your standard of holiness. We fail to, to measure up to being in your presence forever. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that he lived a perfectly righteous life that is worthy of your presence forever. We thank you that he then became sin for us and died for our sins, died for us. And, God, we trust Jesus for our salvation. When we stand in your judgment, we have no excuses to offer. We are sinners. We point to Jesus with all reliance being upon him. God, we thank you for your spirit who applies your word to us. And God, I thank you for each person who is here today. In that sense, I am preaching to the choir, to righteous, faithful people who made it here today. God, I pray that you would help us to not look down on anyone who is not here. Help us to look over to them as fellow sinners who are in need, who are in some state of weakness, who may need a word of encouragement, who just may need love and help in their lives. I pray, God, that you would help us to be agents in their lives to turn them toward you. God, give us patience. Give us faith that your spirit works, that the burden is not on us to cause the change. Uh, The opportunity is there for us to be a part of it, to be used by you. And I pray, Father, that each believer at Cornerstone Baptist Church would feel mobilized. Uh, Father, would feel opportunity to go to those who might in good faith repent and turn and be restored and saved from death. Bless us now as we continue this study tonight. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.